Specialty Story, session number 197. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you so much for tuning in today, wherever you are in the world, whatever you are doing right now. I hope that you will get to be exposed to a new specialty today, a specialty that is a surgery subspecialty, the one of transplant surgery. We're going to learn all about transplant surgery from Dr. David Mulligan. We're going to talk about what drove Dr. Mulligan into transplant surgery, what he loves about it, what he doesn't like about it, and so much more. We start the conversation by talking about what got Dr. Mulligan into transplant surgery to begin with. So I am one of those uh, individuals that went into medicine thinking that I liked biological sciences and I liked I liked kind of physics and engineering and computers. So I was kind of a science and math geek and I was younger and in high school and things. And, and so I knew I wanted to gravitate to a field that kind of combined all of those things. And so I went to college and I w- ended up in a liberal arts college that, that actually uh, had a major in chemistry and biology, but I, I did theology and philosophy and, and, and history and music. And so I really got to be exposed to a lot of different things as I was going through, which I think was a really useful way to be well-rounded and connected to a lot of different people and understand where they come from. And so as I went and I decided on a career in medicine, I had this idea that I wanted to be a surgeon because I just love doing things with my hands and, and fixing things, repairing things. And I like the concept of being able to actually um, cure a disease or fix a disease rather than just treat it with medicines. And so that was very appealing to me. And so I, I went that way. But I was attracted to um, renal physiology early on. And I liked the kidney. I liked the science behind it. I liked the urological sciences because many people didn't know how to figure out what was going on in the genital urinary tract. They just knew there was a problem. And so I got to be kind of a sleuth at the same time as I got to uh, use really neat tools to try to diagnose what was going on with a patient. If they had blood in their urine, it could be infections, stones, tumors, a lot of different things. And I got to really be very adept at all those different skills. And apply some some complex physiology to to try to figure out what was going on. And that was my first uh, pathway is a specialty is heading toward urology. Hmm. As I got into urology, I then uh, started to realize I really liked taking care of really complex ill patients. And I liked the intensity of ICU care and critical care. And, and, I, and at that time, I got to see some liver and pancreas transplants, um, as well as the kidney transplants, which I knew I was interested in. And next thing you know, I was visiting with my chair uh, and having a conversation about, well, you know, I'd really like to do multi-organ transplant surgery. He, mm. he said, wow, 
I did not expect that, but if that's what you want to do, finish your residency in urology. Uh, let's get you double boarded in general surgery and then off to a transplant fellowship, uh, which is the path that I chose to take. And uh, here I am today. <laughs> here you are. Just a couple of years later. Uh, yeah, yeah. It took about a, it took about a decade to uh, to do that pathway. So so it's definitely one of those things that that is nice to be able to figure out ahead of time. But in these days, it's so hard to know uh, early on what exactly you want to do when you grow up, and uh, you have to be willing to to explore and, uh, and to keep your open mind. I think and and just try to be adaptable and adjust to whatever comes your way because it's more important to be happy and enjoy what you want to do every day than it is to say, well, this is what I'm going to be and fit yourself into a, uh, as a peg into a, into a hole and not really enjoy uh, what you want to do. So be yeah. open-minded and, and keep, keep your, um, keep your um, concepts of the things that you like uh, wide open so that you can really explore what gives the most meaning to you, I think, is really important. 100%. 100%. Too many people chase the status, prestige, the dollars, and, and don't, don't think about, well, is this going to make me happy? So we don't, we don't yeah. uh, reflect on that enough, unfortunately. So talk about some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around transplant surgery that you're constantly dealing with, whether it's with residents or medical students. So transplant is always uh, a field that's got a lot of oohs and ahs. And, and I think that um, many people look at uh, transplant surgery as a super subspecialty that takes a lot of years to train, which it takes some definitely takes a little bit of extra training. Um, but the transplant um, surgery, some of the myths that, that um, you hear are, well, the lifestyle is horrific. Uh, uh, that if, if you're a woman and you want to talk about transplant surgery, it's going to be impossible to have a family, which is entirely not true. Um, and, and if, and if you, if you really want to have a successful, healthy work-life balance, um, transplant surgery is not going to be for you, uh, which again is, is not true. And I think that, um, that many people feel like it's, it's extremely difficult and would be hard to get into and that many people aren't interested in, in doing it because the jobs are scarce and, and that's not true. So, so there's a, there's a, those are the major myths that I hear from students and residents that, that they're worried about when they start to delve into the topic of a transplant surgery uh, as a potential career. Mm. Yeah, I think the the picture of, of a transplant surgeon being woken up in the middle of the night and saying, hey, there's an organ uh, donor in another state, go jump on a private jet and fly around the world and, and come back and put it in. And um, it, it's, it seems like those are not the, the days of transplant surgery anymore. There, there's correct. teams all specialized to do certain parts of it. That's correct. And, and one of the things that I think is really notable are the dramatic changes that we've seen in the past uh, three to four years in the field of transplant surgery in that not only have we changed 
um, to a, a more broader allocation system for hearts and livers and kidneys and pancreata and intestines um, and lungs. You know, we've, we've got much broader distances that we share organs because of all kinds of reasons. Mm. And we find that rather than sending teams from the recipient hospitals out to the donor hospitals, which can be a lot of excitement and fun, uh, more often we're actually coordinating with uh, organ procurement organizations in those farther off areas. And they're coordinating with their local centers or staff surgeons that they have on on salary to actually recover organs, send a lot of pictures, a lot of data, even pictures of biopsies, and send that to us. um, uh, And then organ recovery happens real time and then we then we track the organs that comes back to our centers and we put them in and we're less likely to go out covid actually accelerated that process significantly where it wasn't safe to have foreign teams come from other other states and other hospitals to go in and do organ recoveries and then to leave with the organs, uh, that was found not to be a real acceptable means of, of uh, interacting with other centers in a safe way. And therefore, uh, we very much had to have local recoveries. And so it's changed the way we do transplants quite a bit. And it's done so, I think, in many ways for the better. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, I think there's always historically has been a lot of uh, reticence to trust other surgeons skills and go, I'm the best one to do this. Let me go do it. And now we're like, well, I have to trust. And and it's like, oh, I guess they're just as good as I am. Yeah, you know, there, 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 there can be some ego issues with surgeons in general, and transplant surgeons are no exception. <laughs> but I, I do think that I, I do think that uh, COVID nineteen has been very humbling yeah. in that regard, and I'm and I'm so happy to see that we are developing more trust uh, with each other, and we have the technology to communicate and yeah. share data much better, and that helps quite a bit. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I often think about if if COVID hit. Uh, 50 years ago without computers and without Zoom and, and all the communication tools that we have now. It's just be a completely different world. But luckily, we don't have to worry about that. So what does a, a typical day look like for you? So for me, um, at this point in time, since I'm the director of the transplant program, I've got a team of six surgeons. And so we take rotations on various uh, transplant services via liver or kidney pancreas, um, or whether we're doing the donor service where we're doing living donors, or we're doing a clinic and we're seeing patients that are coming in for new visits or for follow-up visits uh, for the for the transplants um, that they've had in a and in all the abdominal organs. And that's what I do, abdominal transplants. So for me, I get up and start my day at about seven in the morning uh, uh, for my first conferences. So I have to get up about six, sometimes 5.30, depending on what kind of exercise program I feel like doing. I always try to make sure I squeeze in some time for some Peloton uh, so that I can stay uh, healthy and and uh, and start my day off on the right foot. And then, and then go into meet Now, right now, we're still having a lot of hybrid world uh, with our with our conferences. And so rather than meeting together in a conference room, we're doing Zoom uh, conferences. So many of the conferences are starting at 
7 or 7.30. They last about an hour. And then it's on to patient care. If I'm on a service, I'll typically make rounds with the rest of the team with our masks on and we'll go around and see our patients and and talk uh, uh, to each other in a multidisciplinary way. That's one of the neat things about transplant. Everything we do is not as an individual practitioner, but we do it with a team of other providers. So there'll be medical doctors along with the along with the surgical doctors, and that means an attending surgeon, resident surgeons, medical students, and then we'll have input from dietitians social workers, uh, pharmacists um, that are part of our team, as well as uh, many times, you know, physical and occupational therapists uh, that all help to coordinate the care of all of these uh, complex transplant patients. And so we'll be discussing all of these patients through the day that lasts a couple of hours and then perhaps seeing some patients in the clinic if we need to do that uh, on that particular day. And then it's back for me, for lots of other conference calls uh, that I have uh, that are scheduled throughout the day via uh, within our program where we'll have uh, conference calls once a week uh, for each organ about whether which patients have been evaluated as new patients and they go on the service. So we'll be talking about those patients and what the issues are that they may need to, to get on the transplant waiting list uh, and whether they need extra testing done or extra visits by other specialties like cardiology to uh, do a cardiac catheterization perhaps looking for coronary artery disease other things like that and then and then we have meetings uh, for morbidity and mortality conference which is something that all surgical specialties do on a monthly basis and we talk about cases that that um, had surprises or things that didn't come out well and what we can learn from those uh, their quality improvement opportunities uh, at everything we do. And so we're constantly looking for those. And then we have conferences for journal clubs uh, so that we're educating. I also happen to serve in some leadership capacities in various national organizations, uh, including the American Society of Transplant Surgeons. And we have meetings uh, with regards to some of the some of the business operations of transplant surgery, as well as some of the areas with I, I serve on a COVID-19 task force where we're trying to evaluate what's happening with COVID-19 as it pertains to transplant surgeries and our patients and what guidelines and recommendations are we giving with with that um, emphasis in mind to protect our patients but to continue to do life-saving transplants because as you know patients aren't safe just sitting on the waiting list um, with these organ failures they have to have life-saving transplants so what's safe What's not? How do we keep our teams safe and how do we keep our patients safe? And that's changing on almost a weekly basis. So we're meeting every two weeks on conference calls about that. I serve on the governing board of the American Association Study of Liver Diseases. And so we're working uh, in a lot of domains over patients with liver disease all around the country and the world. And then I also uh, have just finished as the president of UNOS and the OPTN, uh, which oversees uh, organ allocation and distribution and the performance of transplant centers and OPOs all over the country. Um, and that's been a, a big job. So I've got a lot of additional <laughs> responsibilities that keep my day busy till about 
seven or eight o'clock at night, uh, sometimes nine o'clock at night on these Zoom conferences. And so what I typically try to do is I come home when I don't need to actually be in the hospital in my office anymore. And so my new way in the COVID era is to actually spend more time at home, even though I'm on conference calls, um, but I can be at home and be with my family, uh, be present with my family a little bit more than when I would be in the office uh, for all those hours. So so it's a different path, but it's working. Yeah, I, I hope that's something we continue into the future where we understand that being at home and on calls is just as committed as being at work and in a meeting. Um, I, I think we've proven over the, the course of the last year plus that that it works and uh, nobody's nobody's at home slacking off. Uh, there's a few, but there's they were likely slacking off at work too. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally. And it's a and it's a different feeling if you're in between meetings um, and the office. Yeah. And and killing time, you know, with with your uh, associates um, and and having those discussions than it is when you're home with your family. And then there's times you might have have a few minutes between meetings and whatever, and you, your conversations and your interactions um, with your spouses and your children. You know that. That time is is amazing, and just yep. being able to be there is is definitely a, uh, it's a different phenomenon that is a very positive phenomenon, I, I think, than it is when uh, when you're away the whole day and you're just absent. Yeah, definitely. So, talk about the the training path to become a, a transplant surgeon. Uh, obviously, four years of medical school. What does it look like after that? So when you finish medical school, you you go into surgery, and in transplant surgery, the typical path would be to do a general surgical residency for those who wish to do abdominal organ transplantation. And so that that residency is five five to six years, depending on whether you go to a program with a research year built into it or not. And as you finish that five or six year program, then there's two more years of fellowship surgery training. And, and, a, a, and it's actually now a board uh, board certified um, part of the American Board of Surgery as a certified specialty, and so we've so we've got that extra training and, and examination as well. Um, in in cases where you're going to do heart or lung transplant, many of those pro- many of those programs um, will have the training built in with the cardiac surgery or thoracic surgery residency programs. Many of those are specialty track programs where they're already an integrated program and they can go right into cardiac surgery after uh, like an internship uh, that's that's built in as an integrated surgical training program. And so there's that opportunity. And then there's a few that still uh, will do a general surgery training followed by a cardiac surgery uh, residency. And then if there's any special kind, say there will be an, a desire to do, say, peds hearts or peds pediatric lung transplants, something that's that's really specialized where extra time to, to just do those kinds of operations would be helpful, then many, uh, many trainees will add that extra year on uh, to get that special training in something that's, that's uh, less commonly done. But overall, that's, it, 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 you're, you're looking at a commitment of at least 
seven, eight, nine years. Um, in my case, it was even 10 years because I did two residencies, a urology residency and a general surgery residency, um, and then and then the two years of transplant fellowship. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Add one more. Come on. Yep. Let's, let's go there for it. Go. <laughs> um, I, are there... Are there general transplant surgeons who will go out and do a lung one day, a kidney the next day, a liver the next day, or or are transplant surgeons pretty specialized these days? Well, transplant surgeons are definitely separated by the diaphragm. So, so first off, you know the ones that do that that are doing heart and and lung transplants are are generally cardiothoracic surgeons. There are some that just do lungs and just do thoracic uh, surgery and they don't do heart surgery and others that just do hearts and don't do lungs. They may also do bypasses and valves and, and, and other kinds of heart surgery procedures, but rarely does a heart or lung surgeon go below the diaphragm. Mm. On the on the abdominal side, it's just the opposite. Um, most transplant surgeons are trained to do uh, liver, kidney, pancreas uh, uh, in adults and children at most of the major centers. Some may not get much training in like multivisceral transplants that include intestines, um, and so therefore they're they're not exposed to that as much, and so they may only do. Uh, kidneys and livers. The the largest number of organs that are transplanted across the board are kidneys, and so the number of programs doing kidney transplants are the most. Some only do kidney transplant pro- transplants, and if you train there, you're only going to get exposed to kidneys, and so that may be all you choose to do or have access to do. Um, and most of the training, uh, it's it includes livers and pancreas, and so having a liver, kidney, pancreas transplant uh, training would be the most common abdominal organ training program. And then what you do from there when you look for a job uh, and where you practice is going to depend on you know what's available. When a, a student listening to this or a resident listening to this is an osteopathic student or has trained in osteopathic medical school, what do they need to do to potentially overcome any sort of negative biases out there to get into a transplant fellowship? Well, interestingly, osteopathic uh, medicine is not something that is um, th- that is looked uh, down upon, or that I've seen as a has been a negative um, factor when looking at transplant surgical um, uh, fellowships. And there are many um, there are many osteopaths that have gone on into transplant surgery and are welcome. So that's not something that I have encountered or, or seen that, that has been a, um, a deterrent. And as a matter of fact, I think, you know, there's a lot about, uh, looking at the, you know, at the body as a whole and, and trying to, and trying to kind of take some of the principles of osteopathy, um, that, that are, that are taught in, in osteopathic medical schools and, and apply those principles to our transplant patients. Because, you know, one of the things we didn't really bring up is, you know, what's so special about our specialty. And one of the, the incredible things are where you're actually doing a practice that involves essentially every field of medicine and surgery that you could 
ever think about, all rolled into this one field for adults and children. And it involves immunology, physiology, pharmacology, infectious disease, uh, the, psychiatry, the, the um, GI, all of GI, gastroenterology, hepatology, nephrology, urology, just a, a dermatology. I mean, there's, if, it, if there's a single practice, even pathology, you're looking at biopsies and, and differentiating different pathophysiologies with those. Um, there's just everything in medicine all encompassing in this whole field of solid organ transplantation and it's such a fascinating field and it's it's a young field and it keeps growing and and it's helping people with extremely amazing outcomes and the only the only barrier we have is not enough organs to to do these life-saving transplants but we even have the capacity to do living organ donation um, which is something I specialize in, living liver transplantation. But there's so many, um, there's so many opportunities, and it's continuing to grow and develop. So for somebody that's really interested in, in, in a lot of challenge, doing uh, uh, research and academics, uh, trans, solid organ transplantation has a whole lot to offer for for anyone that's interested in kind of an academic surgical career. It's a wonderful opportunity. What do you like the most about it? Well, it's, 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 it's really that I, I like the fact that, that it's such a challenge, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most gratifying fields that I've ever uh, been exposed to in that you're literally helping patients who may be at death's door and you can restore uh, their loss of organ function with an operation and good medical care with a team um, and see a patient completely turn around and walk out of the hospital, you know, just a week later. It's just amazing. And it's so gratifying to see them uh, recover um, completely from a, from a horrific disease and, and be well again. And that is just incredibly gratifying and uh and it and it's what what keeps you it's what keeps you going when the when the times are tough that's the kind of thing that keeps you going what do you like the least well i think sometimes the the demands of of really complicated cases uh really tough um tough patient situations where they get a really bad infection or if they if they're having difficulty you know in a bad outcome or some of the worst events are when they can't get the organ in time uh they're they're they decompensate to the point where they don't make it and and you're not going to be able to uh, do a transplant, and you have to and you have to have that conversation with the family um, to to tell them that they're too sick uh, and it's futile. Those are the ones. Those are the times that are the hardest. Yeah. What major changes do you see coming to the specialty in the future? Well, I think that we see, and this is the neat thing about transplant. I mean, we're we're on the verge of using um, ex vivo perfusion devices. Those are machines that are um, biological pumps that can take human organs and you can put the organ on this on this system that perfuses the organ with either special oxygenated solutions or even blood and keep the organ functional 
and study how that function works for hours to come before you would transplant it. And you could do that with heart, lungs, livers, and kidneys. Um, and the and the organs can even be modulated with nutrition and with other agents to try to improve the organ, make it better than it was when it came out, and then transplant it. So that's that's coming along now, literally, you know, uh, week by week, it's advancing, you know, on the horizon. Uh, we've also been doing a lot of work with uh, the 3D bioprinting and tissue engineering, taking stem cells and trying to repopulate pluripotential stem cells in ways that they can become organs and that those organs will regenerate in ways that they can actually take someone's own cells and then within a few weeks grow those the stem cells into a functional uh, organ replacement and that is the technology that's still a few years off but we're seeing it in the laboratory now uh, as a very exciting future to where Hopefully someday we won't even have to take a donor organ. We'll just take some cells from a buckle sweep and we'll put them in and grow, uh, grow those cells into functional organs and then, and then replace the damaged organ with a functional organ. Um, and and uh, you won't even need immunosuppression because it's your own cells. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. And then, and then during these times where we have a pandemic and, and all of, uh, I'm assuming most of your uh, organ transplant patients are non-responsive to a vaccine, their, their life changes during this time. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah, that sure does. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a transplant surgeon? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love what I do. What kind of final words of wisdom do you have for for those listening to this, thinking about transplant surgery as their future specialty? Well, I think uh, the most important thing is to to go for it. If it's something that intrigues you, if it's something that excites you, don't get um, don't get dismayed by the myths that we spoke about earlier <laughs> in the podcast. But but really pursue your dreams. And and really understand that that if you can if you can dream it, then it can happen. And that if you if you work for it, there's definitely a pathway that can provide a lot of joy and a lot of of uh, work life balance and everything else. It's hard, but it's but it's definitely so rewarding. All right, there you go again, Dr. David Mulligan talking about transplant surgery. Lots of options out there, lots of different organs to transplant these days, above the diaphragm, below the diaphragm, as Dr. Mulligan was talking about. So hopefully this helps you understand what is out there. We have more great episodes coming your way here every week. I think as I'm recording this, it's the beginning of August. We have guests lined up throughout the whole rest of the year. If you enjoy these and you want to come join live and uh, in, in something similar, check out eShadowing at eShadowing.com where you can earn shadowing hours by joining us live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're working on more guests to line up 
for e-shadowing here in the future. Next week, we have a great specialist as well, Dr. Stacy Ruff, talking about geriatrics. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. Again, thank you, Dr. David Mulligan, for sharing your time and your wisdom to talk all about transplant surgery. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.